Hello and welcome to another episode of DIY EV Chat, the podcast about building your own electric car, converting old cars to electric power. And today my guest is Kit Lacey from eDub Services. Welcome, Kit. Thanks for coming on. No worries. Thank you for having me. Now, listen, we probably ought to, this, this is going to be a slightly different one because obviously you've got a business converting cars. Let's start with the business because you've got quite a few interests there. It's not just the conversion. Tell us about the business, how long it's been going and what sort of stuff you do. So uh, Edub Services actually started as Edub Trips back in 2013. Um, the core premise was I would quite like an electric powered VW T2 camper van. I can't afford just to buy one and make one. So let's start a business where we can convert one and then offer it to hire. So it was a very kind of simple package. Um, after a few years and kind of long story short of things not really working and people not being available to give me answers or help or not really knowing themselves, I learned how to do it myself. Um, and then kind of suddenly realized people were getting in touch and saying, hey, I'd really love one of my own. And I kind of, as I was looking around, I'm thinking, actually, I know kind of nearly as much as, as some of the, the, the industry leaders. Uh, so in about 2015, we morphed into EDUB services, um, which still covers the trips. That's still something that we're really passionate about, but also specifically the conversions, uh, a bit of weddings, a bit of consultancy, kind of the whole package. So what were you doing before that, before you sort of went through that learning process to actually build, build a camper? Yeah, I get asked this all the time as kind of, so your, your background's in like electrical engineering or something like that. No, it's not at all. The reason that I'm here today is because um, I'm like a dog with a bone. I'm very tenacious. So I, I got hold of this idea and I just could not let it go. Um, I have several stories, but I've got a story of just in a lay-by at, at you know, one o'clock in the morning in our camper van that had broken down again for some reason that should have been very obvious but wasn't to me. And nobody was telling me how to fix it. And I remember very like saying really specifically, I was, I was out with my mum at the time. And I said, right, let's give up. I said, come on, let's walk it through. Let's give up. Let's stop because this isn't working. It's sunk too much money. Let's, let's give up. And after about five minutes of just trying to talk around what that would look like, we're like, no, we can't give up. We need to keep going. <laughs> so my background, actually, um, my, my education is in film and media production. Um, so okay. that's my degree, uh, my qualification, my highest qualification, I do now have um, kind of EV related qualifications now, my highest qualification going to this was a, a BA in film and media production, um, which I suppose does, it does hold true to, to one of the reasons why I think EDUB has um, come so far in the way that it's come now. I'm, I've, I've been probably overly focused on things like brand and image and, um, you know, website stuff and how we appear. Uh, even right back in the days when all we had was was one camper van um, <laughs> and trying to show what we were with the potential without being misleading of being something that we're not. Um, and that's actually now, it's now starting to prove worth um, in that, you know, we're, we're doing really well on the kind of Google stats. We're oversubscribed. Our um, warehouse is full at the moment. So um, that's kind of coming back really nicely. But yeah, no, I, I literally, I got involved I think I was slightly encouraged by the fact that VW campers are, they have a massive following of garage DIY enthusiasts, um, Ted in the Shed, because, so therefore I was like, well, like, I've got a spanner. <laughs> <laughs> How hard could it be? <laughs> and, and so you always had a bit of a passion for the VWs, did you? Yeah, I think I'm, I'm the wrong generation, and I, I always admit that I'm the wrong generation to have 
uh, an actual direct nostalgia with these vehicles. Uh, and I meet several people in the generation before me um, who either had one when they were kids or their parents had one when they were kids. Um, I never had that. Uh, so I'm more fascinated by them, by the fact that the, their longevity, I love the culture that they um, that they bring, and I love their design. I love how how brilliantly that design just kind of came from nothing and has become something so inspirational and has still lasted 50 years. And so one of mm -hmm. the things that we always say is, well, it's already been going 50 years. Let's let's keep it going another 50 more. How do we do that? Electric conversion. I was, my first car was a Volkswagen Beetle, and I wish I still had it to convert now, <laughs> although it was about 80% filler even then. Yeah. Um, so it pro probably wasn't going to be worth converting. So you mentioned you've got a warehouse full now. What's the warehouse full of? Mostly campers. Uh, right. I'm, I'm going to look around and count them. <laughs> One, two, <laughs> five classic T2s. Um, we've got a modern T6.1 that we're converting for Transport HQ, who are doing a 1,000-brake horsepower, a media gimmick. We're going to race around Nürburgring and get the fastest electric wow. van time on that. Um, uh, and at the moment, we have a Porsche, uh, a 1977 Porsche 911. Very, very beautiful car. Um, and we've got a VW variant in here as well um, that we're just kind of getting the subframe finished off and our Vespa, our T5 Vespa that's in here too. So that's what I'm currently staring at. Wow. So let's go back to that first bus. Um, what did you do? What did you put in it? What was the conversion process? So the conversation went something like, how hard could it be? which I say far too often. That's, again, maybe why I'm here. <laughs> How hard can it be? Let's spend lots of money. Well, we can't back out now. It's quite a good business tactic. <laughs> You've got the cash. Um, so the... And, and we, we just look... I think the principle of it, because Nissan Leafs were just starting to be common, and the principle of it was, well, instead of turning the wheels with an engine, let's turn the wheels with a motor. And, and then a little bit of searching, we found a company over in the States called EV West, which a lot of your listeners are probably familiar with. Um, and they had a wonderful marketing tactic of putting up conversion kits. Um, they still have it. And it's, it's a very clever trick um, because it's, it lists 20 different big... I've got no... Uh, they, those guys are incredible. Michael and the guys over there are, are absolute geniuses. But I loved that after a few years, I kind of looked into this. And they have about 20 different vehicles on their website, conversion kit for this, conversion kit. And they've got bus. And I'm like, great, bus. And you click on the bus and it gives you the list of parts that you need to buy um, most of which they sell, um, a lot of which that you like batteries you need to source everywhere else. But one of the main biggest things that we never think about is is the fabrication. How do you mm. attach the old stuff to the new stuff? That is the the most difficult thing to do, um, and always takes longer and costs more than you think it will. Um, so we bought the kit from them. Um, so the little, the little thing I discovered is that that list is the same on every single vehicle. <laughs> so it's a conversion <laughs> kit for the bus, but it's actually the same as the conversion kit for the Beetle and the conversion kit for the Porsche. Um, bless them. But it's great. Works. Works for me. Um, and so we bought that kit. We actually sourced batteries from the Czech Republic. Um, and we got the kind of bolt-on motor and all things like that. And then I managed to twist the arm of a friend of a friend who was a mechanic um, who kind of said, yeah, sure, we'll take on this project with you. And I was like, yeah, it'll be fine, it'll be easy. And we set a date for the VW Festival. Like, yeah, we'll be on the road, it'll be fantastic and amazing. And it just, everything took so long. Um, and so we, we used um, HBVS uh, AC50 motor with a Curtis 1239. Uh, the original was just a 1239. We're now running a 1239 SE uh, controller in there. Um, our BMS journey has been very interesting. I think we started with an A123, something like that. 
Then we switched to another brand that I can't tell you about. And again, that really let us down. And in the end, um, the internet and the few people that were doing it told us that Orion was the way to go. So we, mm. um, we then, the, the most brilliant thing about Orion is that they, even though they're the other side of the pond, they help. <laughs> they don't just sell you a product and then have, and then have nothing to do with you. Is if I've got, they have a ton of, they have loads of different models that fit your application, loads of different um, guides and troubleshooting and user guides to get you started. And then they do have some level, not officially, but they do have some level of kind of email support where I can just say, I can just jump on and say, hey, think about this, what does that mean here and how do I do this bit here? And I get a response. And it was just incredible because suddenly rather than me, previously I would have a problem and you know how the email conversation, you need to have a conversation. It can't just be, here's a list of problems, please answer all of them. It's, here's what's going on, could you reply, and we can do a bit of a bounce back and forwards. So I'd send an email out to previous suppliers, and it'd be a week before I'd get mm. something back, and then another week, and it's like, it wouldn't work. Um, so we it's now a really interesting... Go on. As I say, it's a really interesting spectrum, isn't it? Because you've got from the, like, the full-on homebrew, like, yeah, I'm sticking a teensy in a piece of perf board <laughs> and support is who else is running the same software can you write code um i mean just yesterday i wasn't getting any serial data out of my bms and there's pretty much only my friends who are mucking around with the same thing to help through to that full tech support you know and and all of them if you are doing it yourself you can kind of pick and choose based on how much you want to spend and how much support you need to do it yeah and i think one of the key differences for us is it's amazing there's a big network out there of people, like you say, who are tinkering and fixing it and, and going with it. But what's so difficult in those environments is the credibility of those people mm. giving advice. If you know them and you've had advice off them before, then that's great. But if you fire out a question into the ether and you get a response back from somebody you've never dealt with before, you've got no idea if those guys actually know what they're talking about. And the biggest problem here is that this is, this is high voltage. If this goes <laughs> wrong, not only is it life-threatening, but it's expensive. And I know. <laughs> not <quite laughs> life-threatening sounds a bit dangerous. I'm not a ghost. Um, life-threatening. <laughs> we have had, yeah, we've had a few. Um, and, but I've blown things up because, not so much directly because I've taken advice, but I know the dangers. Yeah. But there's also another level for us is that when we decide, right from the word go, we were a, we were a business. So there's a credibility there is I'm, I'm, I'm providing a product to a customer who shouldn't need to think about that. And shouldn't need, so, so immediately we were saying, we can't follow that line. Yeah. If, if, if this particular model, even if it works for someone, is really cheap for someone and, it's, and that's great, there is absolutely no way as a business I can follow that line. Because if something goes wrong or if there's some issue with, the, with support or credibility, um, then that, you just can't build a business off the back of that. So um, yeah. that's another big reason why our conversions are, are quite pricey for people who know what the technology is and can do it themselves. And I fully get that. But there has to be, the, you have to kind of understand the other side of it there to kind of say, well, yeah, yeah that's, got, that is how it has you, to work. You've got to be able to trust your supply chain so that your customers can trust you uh, and, and trust the product. Yeah, 100%. Um, and so that kind of, that's kind of the technology that we put in the camp. But we use those um, cowl, the original blue cowl kind of cereal box. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, in fact, they're still over there. <laughs> I need to sell them. <laughs> Does anyone want some kelp? <laughs> um, well, we used about 46 of them. 44 of them are fine, and two of them are rubbish. 
Um, and as anybody's familiar, all it takes is one bad cell and the entire pack is rubbish. Um, and once we got down below a certain voltage and they'd lived, I'd abused them. I'd horribly abused them. So we've now upgraded to LG Chem, you know, Jaguar I-Pace, LG Chem batteries in there. Um, something like a 40% increase in range and about a 30% wow. reduction in weight. As a, and that's wow. over five, six years. So that's pretty that's incredible. That's a massive shift. That's pretty incredible. I do, I do think we're at a bit of a plateau at the moment. Um, with electric vehicle technology and with battery technology. Um, but yeah, that's quite fun. So we've got that shifted over. Um, we've gone full electric with all our interiors now as well. So we used to be on a gas hob just because it was easier. Um, yeah. but we've made the leap, made the push to make it an induction hob in there. <laughs> that's cool. Which involves some quite interesting trickery with the campsite because obviously you can't you can't be sucking power to charge the van and sucking power to boil your pasta <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> The campsite would literally explode. <laughs> so we've had to set up this, um, basically a manual switch system so that you can only do one or the other and then it has to have you know, flashing lights and all sorts to remind people. But yeah, so far we, we had a hire uh, that came back last week, um, no issues. Uh, so we're really proud now to be saying, look, we are, we are 100% electric. There is nothing here um, going into this that's, um, that's kind of fossil fuel, which is cool. So did you hit that original deadline to get that that on the road, that first car on the road? No. <laughs> I, I mean, I knew the answer, let's be honest. I have a, I have a wonderful picture of... So, so my mum and my dad are, are, are joint directors in this. Um, they just hold s small shares. And it was actually, in the end of it, um, my dad ended up basically funding our entire initial first project. It just kept going and we couldn't give up. Um, but no, I have a very funny picture of we went to the festival that year because we booked it and had the tickets. And I've got a funny picture of my mum just stood in the space where our plot <laughs> was looking very sad. <laughs> just to kind of really take it home like we should have been here. Um, yeah, we had a, the, the, uh, was it about that time? I think that one, I think year one, um, it was just time. We just didn't get it done in time. Things took a lot longer than we thought. The van needed a complete restoration as well, so it wasn't just putting in batteries and fixing them up. It was, you know, it was paint. It was, you know, putting in all the, the actual features and fixtures of it. Um, year two, no, then shortly after that deadline, we had quite a major malfunction with our motor. So wow. our, the HBVS motor has an encoder um, on the end of it, and the wires for that encoder on this model went kind of, just, just into the back of the motor. And the encoder was um, fixed around the, the central shaft. And over time, for no particular reason, it basically wasn't quite tight enough on, on the shaft. And so the encoder slowly turned in the casing. Oh, and wow. as it did that, the wires of the encoder pressed up against the housing of the, of the motor and slowly cut them off. <laughs> so what then happened... This is my understanding of it from speaking to the companies. What then happened is suddenly the motor lost all signal for how fast it was turning. My throttle pedal was down on the floor and the controller didn't know how fast the motor was turning. In fact, the, 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 the encoder thought the throttle was, sorry, the encoder thought the motor wasn't turning at all because it suddenly got zero signals. So when I've got my throttle down on the floor, the encoder just opened everything up. And so every available electron went through and kind of blew everything up in its process. So it blew our fuses and it actually blew our controller, our controller fried. Wow. It's there. 
I, I keep I keep all our blown up things as a memento to to warn us of things that have gone wrong. So our original encoder is just it sits behind me reminding me of how <laughs> Yeah, here we are. I can't believe I've just got this ready. Wow. Yes, that's, that's, that's right. what it takes to cause six months delay and actually they covered it under warranty, but it could have cost me Good. a new a new motor and a new um controller, which is around four, five thousand pounds. Just that. Just a little reminder for myself. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you move on from buses? What was the next project? Buses were always the thing that worked. Strangely, we launched ourselves as EDA services taking on conversion as well. And we got a phone call from a guy just asking questions and, and working through it. We thought, okay, this is interesting. Um, he said, oh, I've got a Datsun 240Z. And I was like, okay, I'm not really a car person. But I looked at it, I thought, okay, cool. And um, after, after it kind of came through, it turned out that um, this particular contact was actually um, working on behalf of Nissan themselves, who have a warehouse full of beautiful old cars. They have kind of every generation, as most car manufacturers would, I imagine. And they wanted to um, do a proof of concept, obviously Nissan, pioneering the leaf mm. they had a fun idea for saying okay let's let's put the new leaf technology into an old um datsun owned by nissan um vehicle and we got we got most of the way through that project it was mostly consultancy so we did kind of design and conversations things like that um and i think then this is going back a bit it was then just as we were going to move on to the production stage was when brexit was announced <laughs> so there was this kind of suddenly then every manufacturer just said nope, we're going to prioritize our own vehicles and we're not going to mess with, with anything superfluous. So, uh, yeah, the project fell apart, which is a shame. But it's quite fun mm. to say that my first customer was Nissan. <laughs> <laughs> and our first vehicle was actually, other than our own, was a 240Z, which is quite nice. Um, we moved back onto buses. Uh, so we did a couple more buses from there. One was, was, again, full Nissan. That was the tech we were using at the time, was just a complete Nissan. Nissan had just started to supply brand new battery modules, which was a big ah, deal okay. for us. And a big deal from the experience we got from the from India, our green camper is, yeah, we bought new batteries there, but we know that just buying old batteries, is, there's no reliability in it. It's really difficult to get it right. And it's a lot of money if it goes wrong. Mm. Uh, so Nissan was selling them new, and we had a contact, and we were like, great, let's, let's jump on this. So we, we effectively put a brand new, and it was just when the 40 kilowatt version came out as well, 40 kilowatt hour version of the Nissan came out. So we stuck one of those in a camper, basically worked with another company. Uh, and that was for a mobility customer as well, which was quite unusual. So again, we were mm. used to being, but it, and but it made complete sense as soon as they explained it. Is they had, they had some kind of mobility allowance for a vehicle. They'd always wanted a camper van. A camper is big and square inside, so let's put a ramp on it and put fixings in the floor and put a few seats mm. on it. And and it's a mobility vehicle. And it worked. It works. It's still out and about now. I'm getting. Um, Instagram posts now of um, they're just in Leeds, not far from us, uh, but they take frequent trips over to North Wales, and so you get some wonderful pictures um, of that. Uh, then we had our, our second camper where we did we went full Tesla. So again, Teslas were just starting to be available. Um, you can see the trend here. We're always yeah, <laughs> always yeah. at the edge of what's going on. Um, so that's what small drive unit and Tesla pack. Yeah, yeah. So that was the full thing. We went with 14 modules instead of 16 because you could still run it with with 14. Um, 
but they were all, um, we built them under the seats and into the cabinets um, interior because it was just a bit simpler. Um, and again, we've, we've always struggled with, with fabrication. I mentioned it before. We've always mm. struggled with... What, what we found is that fabricators are either too worried and too scared to actually do the job and that's really bad when they say they'll do the job and then don't do the job because they're too scared. And it would be much easier if they just said they're too scared. And find somebody who's fine. So we got a few that we'd side on. Oh, oh yeah, 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 we can do that, no problem. And then you start to talk to them about it and they kind of, they'd half do something and then, yeah. And then you get the other side of the coin where people aren't too scared. They're the opposite. They're just, they don't care that it's high voltage. And you're kind of, no. <laughs> <laughs> You can't just put the battery terminal flat up against the sheet of the box, and I'll tell you why, because of electricity. Um, and so, <laughs> and then, yeah, and just things like that, where you kind of go, and that's just so hard to find. And, um, and that's, that's always been our biggest problem is, um, and again, the flashback that gets me is our first EV show in 2014, I think it was, we, we took the camper down to Froome, um, for some reason, we decided to travel from Yorkshire to Froome with the camper on the back of a transporter, and it wasn't finished. Um, we just put it on a transporter. It still had no interiors. There was a leak in the roof. It was hilarious. Um, and we, but I remember there, there were a few other DIY hobbyists, and I've got some pictures. And the one that sticks out to me is somebody had um, arranged their battery pack, and they'd put it in a suitcase in the back of the car. And so we'd use those kind of clothes straps inside the suitcase to hold the batteries down. And I was like, okay, well, some thought has got into this. They obviously thought, how do I keep these from, you know, just bouncing around the back of the vehicle? Oh my goodness. And it's just, I've seen loads of it. And even recently I saw somebody with, I think it was a Tesla pack, because Teslas are easy to get hold of. And there's a couple of Tesla packs in a, in a metal frame box, but then there's another one in a wooden box. And I'm like, wooden box for these high voltage batteries? That's not a good idea for reasons, as stated before, electricity. Um, and it's just one of those where you, oh my word. So again, that's another one of those things where you just be like, fabrication needs to be on point. It needs to be perfect mm. and it's so hard to do. Um, it's so hard to get right, it's so hard to get right. Um, for the timing, for the cost, for the and then the functionality, and then the improvability as well. As I've said before, everything's changing. So mm. next year there'll be there'll be something new and some new layout and some new change, and we can't just go back to the, the drawing board. So um, well, this is it. I only got my car on the road September last year, and I'm already in the middle of completely redoing it. <laughs> I had a friend of ours who I won't I won't go into details because I haven't asked permission if I can tell the full story. But he finally finished his vehicle. It taken him a long time, you know, and he did, went through the usual thing where he got it working and the needed to sweep this, needed to sweep that, needed to sweep the other. But in the end, he had, he had been specced and had then chosen a, a too low-powered motor. It was no good. And so he made the really kind of ballsy decision um, to say, I'm just going to scrap it. I'm just going to sell the parts and start again and, and, and shelve the whole project. And he's kind of not given up, but he's quite, I find it quite creative because I can't do that, which is why I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> he just kind of said just sheer stubbornness <laughs> I know my sheer stubbornness has created a business is actually pretty cool um, but yeah I was just I was quite fascinated because he was kind of like and I'm just not giving up um, but uh, we, we've helped him a bit with some of our stuff and I think that's partially the because we 
as a business can we can afford all the, the batches and the technology and, and those kind of things. So I can get it. Like when you come in here and see the stuff that we do and he's comparing it to his own stuff and kind of goes, yeah, I think I'm going to take a new approach here. Um, but yeah, that, that's how the technology is growing and that's the, the challenges that we face with it. You're right about the fabrication thing. I mean, it's definitely, in many ways, it's the biggest part is making it all fit and, and having confidence that you've built something strong enough. I mean, I've been... I'm working back from my first project where I think I, you know, I massively over-engineered everything, and I'm now trying to actually lightweight it a little bit and take some of the huge amounts of excess weight out because everything's just too thick, too strong, too many struts and things. Yep. It'll be a little bit lighter next time, a little bit neater, and then I'll probably do it a third time again, and then I might get it right if there's ever such a no. thing. No, no. <laughs> As a business, have you had any issues getting things either approved or insured for the road? Uh, short answer is no. Okay. And, um, mainly because we know the loopholes to jump through. So we were very aware of, um, yeah, we knew these kind of things were around and we knew that there were pitfalls. And so we navigated them before they would cause any issues. Um, and they're constantly evolving. And the DVLA doesn't really know what's going on. And the, the, the department you want to speak to is actually made up of four or five people who live in the basement of DVLA. Um, I'm pretty sure that's true. <laughs> um, and yeah, insurance, no. Because insurance has been really one of, especially if you, almost like fabricators. If you talk to an insurer and you say, hey, I've got an electric converter camper van. If the insurer themselves, just literally the person you're talking to, doesn't know what that is and gets scared by that concept, nothing to do with what you've done, but they just get scared by that concept, then they won't insure you, which is nothing to do with the vehicle. It's just that individual didn't understand. Whereas the reality is, when you talk to an insurance company, their question back to you is going to be, well, you know, because you say things like, like, well, how much is it worth? I mean, that's a hard thing to pitch with a classic vehicle anyway. Yeah. But, but in, electric, in electric classic, it's almost easier because most of the components that you're installing retain their value because if anything was to go wrong, most of them are fine. You can sell them for what you bought them for. Mm. Um, and the vehicle itself is a classic car and so retains its value. So you can just make a quick list. Well, the car's worth X, the motor's worth X, the batteries are worth X, the BMS is worth X. Um, and, the, and the blunt answer the insurers are going to say to you is, well, if something was to go wrong, if you were to vehicle was stolen or written off, the question simply is how much money do you want back? And a few customers have even said, well, I haven't insured it for the full value because I don't want to pay that much per month. But I mean, because it's a classic, you just make sure. I mean, we, we, there are a few classic car insurers specifically who have, there's the little loophole that I heard of where um, most insurers, if you write off a car, you can't get it back. It, it just mm. goes to the salvage yard. There's nothing you can do about it. And if it's a classic, they'll do the same. And actually, you don't want the classic to go to the salvage yard. You Yes, you want it written off, quote-unquote, but you want it back so you can repair it or so you yeah, can yeah. salvage some of the decent parts that are fine and do something with them. Um, so there's a couple, I think it's right to recover or something like that. There's a particular terminology to look out for, but there are a handful of really good classic car insurers um, that do that by standard. Um, and that's been always fine. With the DVLA, uh, yeah, I mean, the new... Again, the paperwork's buried under motors, I'm afraid. There's, there's new, obviously, changing the V5... Um, documentation saying things like electric that there's a there's a there's it sounds like to me looking at the groups over the last month or so there's become a bit of 
scaremongering and confusion when it comes to the DVLA and registration. Um, and I'm talking specifically about classics, so I'm not talking about anything pre-2001, yeah. of which there's a whole other minefield to negotiate. Um, so the moral Post-2001. Is, yeah, 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 yeah. Post-2001, apologies. So, yeah, if you're thinking about converting a, a car, go as classic as possible, because the, DVLA, yeah. the older the car is, the less the DVLA care. And that's just the way of the world, so roll with it. <laughs> Um, but the, um, what, what it sounds like from looking at the groups is some people have converted their car, they've filled in the V5C to say changes, and they've you know, changed the fuel to electric and changed the horsepower to something else, and they've sent it off. And then they've got a letter back from the DVLA saying, you can't do that. Um, and then they give a very terrifying list of all the things that you might need to provide and that your vehicle needs re-registering and all this scary stuff and it's not possible and it's horrible and how dare you and this, that and the other. And the letter is not nice. And then suddenly, everybody kind of piles onto the groups and says, I've just spent all this money converting my classic car and the DVLA won't, won't validate it, blah, 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 blah. And it's, it's, it's a very unfortunate way that this is flowing, but I want to encourage people that that's not, that's not actually how it works. Um, I haven't received this letter because I've never just sent off a V5C, but I assume it's general DVLA jargon, which is giving you every single possible worst case scenario to prepare you for what might need to happen. Um, the reality is there is information on the DVLA website about um, there's a point system about how much you need to change on a vehicle before um, you need to re-register it. As long as you are, we, we say, you know, we're changing the, the fuel type, which isn't technically one of them. We are changing the engine. Um, we are changing the gearbox. We're not changing the steering. We're not changing um, the chassis. We're not, we don't weld to the chassis or cut any of the chassis. The chassis stays intact. And so our point system goes over the eight points. And so we don't need to re-register. That's the key biggest pothole that mm. people get scared of um, because that's a whole other problem. Don't go anywhere near that. You basically have to become a car manufacturer if you want to, yeah, to go yeah, down yeah. that route. Um, whereas, as long as you keep over those eight points, again, the DVLA need a little bit more than just your scribble on the V5. They need um, a letter from... So this is why we, I, th I think we get round it, because I am a business that does this. So I can say, we've done this conversion, this is the changes we've made and what we've done. It's, very, it's actually a very simple letter. You just say what the changes are and that we've done yeah. it and then sign it. Um, and that goes off with something like 20 quid. Um, and the, they'll get around to it in their basement with five people. They'll work through it. Um, it's but interesting because yeah. I, got, I, got, I sent my... Um, I, I think I sent off my V5 and there's a form to fill out as well. Not the, not the one for um, effectively um, re-registering. Or not re-registering, but there's a, there's a very simple form that you send off along with the V5. And mm. I sent photos with it and copies of receipts for the motor and batteries. Yeah. And they came back to me and said, that's not enough information. Um, you need to send us receipts for, you need to send us a, um, a description of the changes you've made and receipts for the batteries and motor and some yeah, photos. Yeah. Like, I just sent you photos and receipts. So I think about, on about the third interaction, they finally went, yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. But exactly. it, it, and so often you've got to find the right person. So it's really strange. Yeah. But if you, if you end up talking to anybody and they tell you the wrong thing, hang up and call them again. It's a long time on hold, but you'll eventually get to somebody who will who will agree with you. <laughs> I think you, I think you're right. I think it's the level of persistence. Well, I've, I've just so, got to get out. So this is this is the, the this is a blah, 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 a V five five slash five form. 
Um, okay. This is available online. You download it and fill it in. And it tells you what you need to include. Um, you don't need to fill the whole thing out. You just need to fill in the bits that you've changed um, and, the, and the things of the vehicle. Um, but what the DVLA are looking for, as with any major modification, they're making sure you've not done something crazy or done something dangerous, regardless of whether it's electric. Yeah. You know, if, if you put a, a jet fighter engine... <laughs> <laughs> Which you're perfectly capable of doing. I mean, if you, really if you want, want to do a jet fighter powered bus, I'd really like to see it. <laughs> electric. Electric. Yeah. It has to be electric. <laughs> but, but, you know, the DVLA are doing that. That's the point of DVLA is to make sure that there aren't really crazy people out there driving really dangerous things out on public roads where there are other members of the public who are unaware mm. of said crazy things. I mean, a jet engine would be quite obvious, I think. But, um, and so You'd that's what they're that. trying to do. So if you try and think that way and go, okay, they're not the enemy who need to be overcome and tricked and paid off. No, they just they need a certain set of information. And if you don't have that, then get it. And if you can't get it, then find a way to get it or have a conversation or say, what can you get? Um, yeah. But that's sometimes what's so difficult is then, because then I'm getting tagged all the time in things saying, oh, your vehicle's, you know, what's the word now? It's like drastically altered it's like such a horrible termination from the dvla drastically it's not drastic well swap the motor yeah <laughs> keeping it as petrol would be drastic thank you very much but okay Absolutely. never mind so listen we, we coming time to wrap up one last question which is what's next what are you working on now our biggest priority right now is streamlining everything that we do so we do so much. We, we've got the campers, we've got the Porsches, we've got other bits and pieces in between, we've got the Golfs, we've got the Vespers. The reality is we can electrify anything. It just takes time and takes money. And whenever we're taking that time and money to electrify anything, we can't really focus on the stuff that we do best. Um, our priority right now is to build more of a kind of production line feature for um, the buses that we do, for the fabrication that we do, to make it really off the shelf. And also what we're trying to do as well, because we're very aware that although the Porsche market is willing to pay the higher prices um, from what we found, they're okay with the higher prices for the conversions, the camper market isn't. Um, and we always try and pose ourselves to say, we're not talking about the, the conversion based on, on the original vehicle. We're talking about what's the current equivalent of these vehicles. So mm. if you take, for the Porsche example, a Porsche Taycan, so the, the, the newest Porsche um, in that style um, of the 911s that is electric, and they cost between 90 and 120,000 pounds brand new. So my market is let's take those people who are willing to pay that amount of money and say, hey, how about you spend about the same, maybe a little bit less, on a classic 911 that's got the same technology in it that retains its value and is much cooler. That's our angle. And we're mm. going to do the same with the campers. So again, the ID Buzz um, is going to be fully charged at the end of this month, um, and that'll start rolling out quite soon. The ID Buzz is brilliant. They've taken all of the uh, design markings from the original, and again, but, but that's about 70 to 80 grand as just a panel van. And there will be a camper version in 2025, and it will be about £100,000. So if I take that market of people, I mean, even, even a T6, T6.1s right now, a camper version, are around 70 to 80 grand. Mm. So if I position my campers alongside those and say, hey, you were willing to spend that money on a modern camper that's still diesel, don't tell anyone. Um, but how about you spend that same amount of money on a classic camper van that's fully electric, that's much cooler than that, that retains its value and will last a lot longer. 
That makes sense to me. Mm. So in future, we will apply that to any vehicle. If there is a vehicle, ideally in that ilk, that has, if there's a vehicle that has a modern equivalent that people are really passionate about, that there's a culture about it and ideally looks good, I'd rather work on something that looks good, um, then that's what we'll go with. Um, but yeah, right now our priority is about really streamlining, um, like I said, the fabrication, the really difficult stuff, the fabrication stuff, the supply stuff. So we'll start to hold a lot more stock here. So we're not so reliant on um, really complicated and difficult supply chain issues, which we are now being hit with. Um, and we can just churn them out. We can just kind of, you know, book in a bus, have it for a week, take out the engine, bolt in the electric and off it goes. Um, that's, the, that's what will be coming. We'll have that ready in probably uh, six to 12 months. Brilliant. Sounds fantastic. Well, listen, Kit, thanks so much for coming on. Um, I hope to bump into you over in Leeds at some point. I'm not sure if I'm going to get to fully charged. Well, I certainly won't get to fully charged in my EV this year, but I'm aiming to get over the Pennines with enough range next year. Um, but it might try and get over there at some point soon. So thanks for coming on. Much appreciated. No worries. Thanks for having me, Tom. <laughs>